consider all that is going on in the world, when you stop and, and contemplate everything that's taking place in this crazy, mixed-up, weird and wacky world, you have to ask yourself the question, what is going on? Well, this morning we're going to revisit some uh, scripture that we have talked about over the last couple of years. Uh, we're going to talk about um, Ezekiel 36 through 39. And we're going to be talking about these scriptures in light of, uh, of all that's transpiring around the world. Now, some of you have heard us teach and, and talk about uh, these uh, uh, portions of scripture uh, in the past. And so you might be thinking, oh no. Oh, no, here we go again. That scares me to talk about that. I don't want to think about what's possibly on the horizon. That's just way too frightening. Teach something else, Pastor, that's going to help me be a better person. Kind of heard that down through the years. Preach on a topic that tells me how I should be living and serving God. Well, frankly, if preaching on the Lord's imminent return doesn't cause you to get busy and serve, if preaching on the fact that one of these days, soon perhaps, that every one of us will be standing before the Bema seat of Christ to give an answer for the deeds done in this body, if that doesn't cause you to desire to be a better person, well then, I don't know what will. You tell me a sermon, you tell me a message that I think, uh, that, that you think would have a greater impact on your service than knowing that every knee is going to bow, that every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Pastor, you're starting to sound like a broken record. Well, folks, as long as I sound like an, like an urgent broken record, that's okay with me. I don't mind sounding like a broken record. As long as you understand the urgency, the importance of you realizing that the coming of Christ soon and as a church the body of Christ we need to actively be serving witnessing watching as we wait for the Lord's coming now said all that I'm going to say this before we get into Ezekiel 36 through 39 because I think it has serious implications on what's going on in the Middle East, in Iran, in Iraq, and in the rest of the world. Um, I want to give you a couple of scriptures. First scripture is Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6. Hebrews 13, verse 6. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. That's a good scripture, isn't it? 
And I encourage you to take that scripture to heart as we face the future, knowing that God himself is in control of your life, of what's going to take place next. The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. The other scripture is Psalms 118. Uh, I would read it just a few moments ago. Psalm 118, verses 6. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? See, that, the way that is written, that gives you even more authority, even, even more excitement. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? That's a question. We need to understand that. Verse 8, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. I got news for you folks. There is not a politician. There is not a world leader. There is no one that I'm looking to for deliverance. See, God has a plan. God has a purpose. And by faith, we look to Him to deliver. We look to Him to direct. And here's what I do pray daily. I pray for those in authority over us. I pray for our president. I pray for Congress. I, pay, I pray for all of those people that God will give wisdom, that God will give insight, that God will save Pray for their redemption on a regular basis. Praying for an awakening. Praying for a revival to sweep across this land. Those are the things that I pray for. And all the while knowing, Lord, you have your way. You have your purpose, your will be done, Lord. As we pray as we think about those verses. This morning I want us to talk about what's going on. With those verses in mind, that we're not going to fear. God's not given us the spirit of fear, right? But of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. So as believers in the Lord Jesus, as those who are trusting our future into God's hands, God's not given us the spirit of fear. What I want to do this morning is I don't want to frighten you. I want to inform you. I want to encourage you. I want to motivate you to understand that the Lord's return is soon and have confidence in the Word of God that it is true. See, you realize that there are 333 prophecies concerning the Lord's first coming? 333 prophecies. Guess how many of those he filled on his first coming? All of them. All of them. So if he fulfilled all on his first, I assure you, he's coming again. All of those concerning his second coming are going to take place. 
Now, three things I want you to keep in mind as we go through this, and, and we're probably not going to get finished with this today. And hopefully we'll get, we can take it up again next Sunday, Lord willing, if we're still here. Okay? The rapture might take place between now and then, and, and then we can, we, we can meet and, and discuss it in heaven. Okay? But three things I want you to, I want you to keep in mind. Num- number one, the Bible is true. Here at St. Louis Bible Fellowship, we take it literally. We believe the Bible. Number two, the rapture occurs prior to God resuming his dealings with Israel. The, the rapture of the church is the mystery exit for us, the body of Christ. The second coming of Christ, which is what prophecy concerns, when Christ comes all the way back to earth, establishes his kingdom, and the thousand-year reign begins, uh, that's a different event. So you have the rapture since our, uh, this period of time in which we live, it was a mystery hid in God, not revealed until it was revealed to the chief of sinners, Saul of Tarsus, Paul. This period of time was a mystery. But Paul also calls our exit, our getting out of here, our departure, a mystery. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or die, but we shall all be changed. In the moment of the twinkling of an eye, we're gonna, this corruptible is going to put on incorruption. This mortal is going to put on immortality. So the rapture is an event that takes place with certainty. And that, the scripture calls our blessed hope. It is our blessed hope. The third thing I want you to keep in mind as we go through this is that the rapture occurs before much of what we're getting ready to talk about. When what we're talking about, here's the good news. We're already out of here. The church, we're already gone. We're already with the Lord when these events start taking place. But the third thing that I want to make sure you, you understand is that there are absolutely no prophecies that have to be fulfilled before the rapture of the church. None. There are no prophecies that have to be fulfilled. Every prophecy concerning the coming of the Lord is about His second coming all the way to earth, not our mystery exit. Now, Paul talks about the fact in 1 Timothy 4.1 that there's going to be a departure of the faith, that men are going to be giving a heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Uh, that's uh, an indication that the rapture is close, but that's not actually a, a, a prophecy or a sign. But when you see that happening, you know that the Lord is close. Second um, Timothy 3, 1 through 5 talks about the last days. They're going to be perilous times. So as Paul talks about these, he's talking about uh, then the last days perilous times shall come, the last days of this present dispensation of grace. Uh, if you're wondering, uh, there are perilous times happening all the way around, all around the world at this very moment. Um, so many churches are giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. It is, it's, it's unbelievable what some churches, what some pastors are declaring from the pulpit uh, today. And that's quite disturbing and, and quite uh, frightening. 
But these are actually conditions of the church and not signs, not prophecies. And we're going to talk about some of the signs and prophecies concerning the second coming of Christ. But if you are witnessing, if you are seeing some of those things that the Lord Jesus talked about would happen before his return the second time, not the rapture, the second time, if you're starting to see some of those events unfolding and all of starts lining up and all the conditions associated with that prophecy starting to come together, what you know is that the rapture is close and those events are close. Literally, there's going to be seven years between the rapture of the church, our exit, when we are caught up to meet the Lord in the air, there are seven years between the rapture and us, the ambassadors of Christ being called up, seven years between that and the second coming of Christ. When he returns to earth, the battle of Armageddon takes place and the beast and the false prophet are cast into the lake, uh, cast, uh, into the, the lake of fire. When Satan is bound in the bottomless pit for that thousand-year reign, uh, Christ establishes his kingdom. There's a seven-year period. It's called Daniel's 70th week. See, the Scripture gives a, a clear timeline for all of that. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble, Jacob having to do with Israel and all that Israel is going to be dealing with. It's called the tribulation period, that seven-year period. And Ezekiel 36 through 39 is talking about that tribulation period. Uh, Daniel 12, 1 talks about the fact that there, will, there has never been a time uh, as, as terrible as that's going to be. And then the Lord Jesus in Matthew 24 quotes Daniel 12, 1. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which stands for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. Uh, Christ talks about that in, in Matthew 24. He pretty much quotes the same thing, saying there's going to be a time of trouble. That is the tribulation period. And it will be taking place. Now, turn with me to Ezekiel 36. There are some last day implications. There are some things that I encourage you to watch for with all that's going on. See, Second Thessalonians, First uh, Thessalonians 5 tells us that as believers, we're not going to be snuck up on. We're, we're not going to be taken by surprise. We're going to be able to observe the things that are going on around us and go, whoa, hey, those actors are starting to take the stage. The curtain's about to go up. Satan is no longer about to remain silent. Things are swirling. Things are happening. And so the Lord says, you, body of Christ, you're, you're not going to be taken surprise. You're not children of the dark. You're children of the light. We know what God's Word says. So we have our spiritual antennas uh, on and, and operating. We know what God's Word says, and we apply it to all the things that are going around us, especially what's taking place in the Middle East. Keep this in mind. Keep this in mind as we get into this. This great country that I love is nowhere mentioned in the Bible. 
Nowhere. When it comes to last days, there, the only aspect of that we can point to this country is the fact that all nations come against Israel. All nations. Now, right now, this nation embraces Israel. We support Israel. Um, it's an ally. Uh, but, it, and the reason for, the, for that, I think, is the strong Christian contingent that supports, supports Israel. We, we understand what God's word says about how God's going to work with Israel and, and, um, and his dealings with them is not over. There's chosen nation, not during this present dispensation. God's no respecter of persons during this period of time. You need to understand, Israel is low ammy, not my people. But as soon as the rapture takes place, God's going to start dealing with Israel again. I had a really good point. It'll come back. But just know that. The rapture is going to, to take place, and then God's going to start dealing with the nation of Israel again. Oh, my point is, Ezekiel 36 talks about something that is instrumental in observing the last days and what's going to be taking place. And that is the restoration of Israel. The recalling of Israel to their homeland. Right now, Israel is scattered. As a matter of fact, when Peter writes his, his epistles, he's writing to the, the scattered tribes of Israel. When James writes his epistle, it's to the scattered tribes of Israel. It's because Israel has been scattered. They are low ammy. They are not my people. God is dealing through the church, the body of Christ. But when the church, the body of Christ, is snatched up to meet the Lord in the air, then that prophetic clock is going to start ticking again, and God's going to start dealing with his chosen people to bring about his plan and purpose that the prophets declared was going to take place. If it doesn't happen, then what does that make God? A liar. Is God a liar? No. Is God faithful? Is he going to carry out his, what he says? Absolutely. That's why we say, rightly divide the word. So you understand that which is written to the church, the body of Christ, us, for this present dispensation. And distinguish that. That has to do with prophecies concerning Israel and the day of of. of the day of the Lord, and during that time. Ezekiel 36 and 37 is so important that we realize that what God is declaring here is that he is going to restore Israel. And 36 through 39 uh, takes place during that tribulation period. And I think it takes place at the very beginning of that seven-year period. Um, I think the rapture of the church is what starts that uh, 2,300 days of that tribulation period. When the church raptures out, that's, that takes place, and then we're going to see God start dealing with the nation of Israel, and one of the first things that, will, that they are going to do is they're going to sign a covenant with the beast, with the Antichrist, with this, this uh, 
uh, world-famous leader that's going to be on the scene at that time who's going to have the answers that the whole world is going to marvel at, that the whole world is going to think is, is, is something wonderful, and let's follow him. And as a matter of fact, it's going to get to the point where they think he is so great, he is so grand, that they're going to worship him. They're going to think that he is what? The true Messiah. That he is the Messiah. And when they see Satan raise him up after he goes into the temple in the midst of the tribulation period and commits the abomination of desolation, and basically what that means is he declares himself God and he is assassinated and Satan raises him up and, and the false prophet gets the whole world to worship the beast and that last three and a half years is just going to be the outpouring of God's wrath and the beast is going to be the beast. He's going to be the Antichrist during that time. But prior to all of that taking place, at the beginning of the tribulation, why, he's just going to be the nicest guy? He is going to win Israel's um, uh, confidence. He's going to make promises to them. He's, I think he's going to explain what happened to all those pesty Christians. All those pesty Christians that got in, all the, got in the way of... of, of all that legislation we wanted to have passed. Why those pesty Christians who kept telling us what their opinion was on, on moral issues and why those pesty Christians that kept telling us we had to believe the Bible, why they're out of the way and, and now we can just uh, peace and safety. But we know what the Bible says about that too. Because when they start saying that, sudden destruction. But that's a whole other topic. So Ezekiel 36 Look at verse 24. We'll start there. Ezekiel 36, verse 24. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you unto your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all of your filthiness and from all of your idols will I cleanse you. Now, sprinkling of clean water, that's exactly what John the Baptist came doing. Keep that in mind. That sprinkling clean water was an indication of that Israel was to be that nation of priests that God said you're going to be for me. And the first thing to do was that ceremonial washing, that baptism that John the Baptist came performing. Verse 26, a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. This is a promise that God is making to Israel. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them. That was what was taking place on the day of Pentecost. That was, that was part of that prophecy being realized. As a matter of fact, Peter, when they were speaking in tongues and, that, and all those of Judea came together and, and out of uh, in Jerusalem and Judea and all around the world, all of the places that, that the uh, the the Jews had come to, to Jerusalem to, uh, uh, to observe the Passover, which it was, it was, it was uh, required for them to be there. And on this Feast of Pentecost, which is what the purpose of Pentecost was, meaning 50, meaning when God says it's going to happen, 50 days later it's going to happen, and boom, it happened. And, and that prophecy started being fulfilled, and everybody heard them speak in their own language. 
I think what was happening that day is what God did at Babel where he confused the languages and he, he separated everybody and they went their different way. They confused their language. They were all one language. God confuses the language. It's not a fairy tale. God did it. What he's doing on the day of Pentecost is they everybody heard them speak in their own language. I believe that that was restored because there it was separation at Babel here it is a restoration and a gathering and they are speaking and they hear them and they go these guys are drunk these guys are drunk and Peter says it's not it's only nine o'clock they're not drunk but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel what was happening on the day of Pentecost was a prophetic incident it was a prophesied incident it was the beginning of that time of Jacob's trouble it was the beginning of that tribulation period Peter says this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel and then he quotes the prophet Joel concerning what's going to take place in the last days and part of that was that regathering that regathering Look at verse 31 of Ezekiel. Then shall you remember your own evil ways and your doings that were not good and shall loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and for your abominations. Verse 33, Thus saith the Lord God in that day that I shall have cleansed you from all of your iniquities, I will also cause you to dwell in the cities and the wastes shall be builded. Verse 36, then the heathen that are left round about you shall know that I, the Lord, build the ruined places and plant that that was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. Chapter 37 is all about the valley of dry bones and how God is going to bring Israel and Judah back together and how he is going to cause them to live. He's going to revive that nation. All of that takes place at the beginning of the tribulation period. Here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting. I mean, there's just so much... The problem is, is how much, it, how much to put into this. That's why it really takes almost a year to go through all of this stuff. Because this, this is great, great information. What we have today, even recently, is, for, is Israel issuing a call to every Jew on the planet to come to Israel. There, there is a call to come to Israel. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said, and it has to do with all the anti-Semitic things that are going on. Do you realize in, in, 19, uh, in 2017, I don't know what happened in 1917, in 2017 and 2018, there were more anti-Semitic activity going on than ever before. It was doubled in 2017. And, well, since World War, since the Holocaust. We don't know about 2019. We haven't gotten those figures yet. But we know there were an awful lot of anti-Semitic activity 
Jewish synagogues attacked, uh, stabbings and murder. It is it, the anti-Semitism around the world is atrocious. It's unbelievable. This is what Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, said: "The wave of terror acts, the wave of terror attacks, can be expected to continue, including anti-Semitic murderous attacks." We say to the Jews, to our brothers and sisters, Israel is your home, and that every Jew is waiting for you with open arms. There's a multitude of rabbis that are calling for the Jews to return from every nation under the sun. There was a, a Jew that, that responded here, a rabbi that responded here recently, that they should be giving thanks for all the anti-Semitic activity and all the attacks that are taking place because what that is doing is two things. It's call it causing the Jews around the world to want to, re to come to their homeland where they'll be safe. And he says, and I quote, it's a sure sign that the Messiah is to break upon the scene. Now, isn't that interesting? That the Messiah, it's a sure thing that the Messiah is about to break upon the scene. Now, at this point, his Messiah is not the Lord Jesus. But one day, hopefully, it will be. And, and he's not the only uh, uh, rabbi. And we're not talking about rabbis that, that uh, pastor little or are part of little meaty synagogues. We're talking about the main synagogue in Jerusalem. I can't think of the guy's name right now. I'll, I'll get it for you. Uh, so many rabbis are calling for the Jews to return to their homeland. One of the reasons we have to understand this, and what's going to bring about this fulfillment, number one, are, are all of the attacks on the Jewish people that are taking place around the world. That, that's happening. Anybody deny that's ha That's happening. And unbelievable numbers. That whole attitude of anti-Semitism is, is atrocious. And so the call is going out, just come home. Come, come to Israel. Come to your homeland. Here's the second part. And it has to do with demographics. Israel desires to be a democratic uh, maintain a democratic form of government. That's, that's what Israel wants to do. At this point, they are 70% Jewish. But they're losing ground as they fight over the Golan Heights and they uh, over the Gaza Strip. And as uh, I think there's, it's like 20% uh, Arab, and then they're 5% something else. And what they're doing is they're slowly losing a, uh, the numbers that could maintain it as a democracy. They will be outvoted. This is a small country. It won't take much of an influx to, and that's, you can see that little red there is Israel. And all the rest of them are the Muslim, uh, Muslim countries around. And we're going to talk about that. Uh, I don't know if we're going to get to it today, but 
that, that, it's an important map because that's a map of all the nations that are mentioned in Ezekiel 38 and 39 that are going to come against Israel um, at the beginning of the tribulation. But if they want, and here's what's interesting, and, and here's where the bells and whistles went off. Recently, well, in the last five years, six years, I think, a, a, a politician called Israel an apartheid nation. Called Israel a nation, they were apartheid. And being a, in the world, the way the world looks at it, uh, ask South Africa, ask Rhodesia uh, how, they, how that goes. And so they, they didn't like that. They don't want to be called apartheid, nor should they want to be. But they also know that if they are outnumbered with people that don't believe in, in a de, uh, democratic form of government, who believes in Sharia law, who believes in their, their, their constitution will only protect them as long as they have the multiple votes. So not only is it a spiritual call together, it is a very political call together. So you've got, yeah, you've got the spiritual Orthodox Jews hoping that the Messiah is going to come and deliver them, but you've got the political aspect of it saying, hey, let's count the numbers. We, hey, call all those people home. We need those settlements on the Gaza Strip, and we need those, oh, the, 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 uh, uh, the Golan Heights. Ooh, we, we better put those settlements in because we've got to make room for people to go. It's, it all has to do with politics. All of this is building towards setting the stage for God to have his plan and purpose unfold. The last time I preached this, talking about that gathering, the last time I preached this, I made a statement, and, and you guys are so gracious and, and, and wonderful, I didn't see anybody going, shaking their head going, he's an idiot. I didn't look on this side over here. Maybe I'll look on this side this time. I made a statement. The first time I preached this, when we went through this, was in 2013. And that watch for the United States Embassy to be moved to Jerusalem. And guess what's happened? The United States Embassy has been moved to Jerusalem. That's significant, folks. That is significant as so many prophecies that have to do with what's going to take place in Jerusalem during that tribulation period. The stage is being set. Can I make another prediction that I think is based on the Word of God? I, I take the Bible literally. I tell you what I, I'll tell you what I think only because I think it's what God's Word teaches. If, it, if I didn't think it's what God's Word teaches, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it. And I expect you to call me when you are watching the news and they announced that the United Nations is about to be moved to Iraq and in specifically to Babylon. Now, now I'm seeing people going, hmm. But I'm telling you, because of God's word and what we're going to look at next week concerning Babylon and, and the battle that's going to come, the battle of Gog and Magog, 
the world headquarters is going to have to be in Babylon. I don't think that's New York City. I don't think it's a metaphor for Rome. I don't think, I think when God's word says Babylon, guess where it means? Babylon. Babylon. And I'm telling you, all the stuff, which embassy just got attacked? Which U.S. embassy just got attacked? The, the American embassy just got attacked. Where? Iraq. Uh, Baghdad. Do you know how many miles Babylon is from there? Uh, just, it's just right down the road. Do you know that the world's largest, most expensive U.S. embassy in the world is in, in between Baghdad and Babylon? And that, the, Google it. And, and look for yourself what that embassy actually looks like. And, uh, and Nebuchadnezzar's mansion are, uh, is, is in the process of being rebuilt right now in Babylon. The money that's being poured in there, when God's word says that Babylon is going to be totally destroyed and no one will ever live there, there is no cre uh, creeping creature that's going to be there and there are now, it's coming. It's going to be Babylon. And all of the things that we see that are taking place right now, and the focus is in Iraq, the focus is in uh, Iran, and there is an absolute reason for all that. And it's critical in light of all the headlines and, the, and, and all that's taking place is the urgency of us sharing the gospel of God's grace with our family and with our friends while we still have time. Folks, that pot is boiling. Things are transpiring. Things are happening at such a fast pace. And Israel is being called home. As, as a matter of fact, as members of the body of Christ uh, as, and, and looking for the rapture to take place, we do not, we know there are no signs or, or any, there are no prophecies associated directly with the rapture of the church. Um, but the restoration of Israel, there's absolutely uh, prophecy. And what's concerning the second coming? Uh, I read something yesterday by a rabbi that talks about the fact that on May 14th, 1948, Israel became a recognized nation. They became a sovereign nation. Now, I don't think the church, the body of Christ, can start setting dates based on that, that date. We don't do that because God's grace is beyond the, you know, God, God's grace could go on and on and on. So we don't look at those dates and say, okay, we need to base when the rapture is going to take place. You get into a whole bunch of trouble when you start doing that. But they do. These rabbis do. They look at that date and the establishment of that date as something being significant, and it gives them impetus. It gives them uh, uh, hope to start calling their people home. Yeah, we, the rapture of the church can't be based on that date, and I don't think you can base that date on the, on the second coming of Christ uh, on that date. But see, they look at that date 
as the fact that God is working and, and they see it as a miracle. They see it as the restoration of Israel. They see it as a green light for them to start doing the things that they are wanting to do, including, and this is what's so exciting, including the reformation of the Sanhedrin, which has to be in place during that tribulation period. All of the temple uh, garb and instruments and furniture is already made. It's already ready. Once the temple is rebuilt, once the temple is there, it's just a matter of getting a whole bunch of Penske or U-Haul trucks and start running the stuff there. It's, it, the stuff is ready. The, the high priest's uh, uh, outfit is outlined in Scripture. It's all been done. The red heifer that is essential for the purification of the temple, they're already breeding those cows. That, that, that heifer cannot have ever had a yoke. You can say, well, why don't we just ship them a red Angus? we got plenty of them. It, it, that can't, it has to be there. It can have never have had a yoke placed on it. See, they know all these things. There are certain guidelines, and those guidelines are being worked toward this very moment by a group of people who believe that their Messiah is about to come. Now, unfortunately, that when the Antichrist comes on the scene and he presents himself, I believe he's going to be mistaken as Israel's Messiah pretty much all through the tribulation period. And there, there are a group of Jews who are orthodox and the, and Judaism is going to be restored and this beast is going to sign a covenant with Israel and the, I think that covenant is going to cause uh, the Arab nations that Ezekiel 38 and 39 talks about and we'll look at that next week it's going to cause those Arab nations to steam it's going to cause them to get so upset with the, with the restoration, with the ingathering of Israel, with this beast, this, this world leader that's going to come on the scene, that's going to have such sway, he's going to have such credibility, he's going to have such ability that he's going to, he's going to bring about peace there in Jerusalem or in Israel. And Judaism is going to be restored and they are going to be celebrating. And need to keep this in mind. We're almost done. I told you we, we barely got into this. When the rapture takes place, and I hope you're all part of it. If you're not, I'm going to tell you in a second how you can be. When the rapture takes place, there will be no believers left. Only the lost are left behind. But God starts doing something in Israel. See, the whole plan of salvation changes. The, it, the gospel that they'll be preaching during that tribulation period is the gospel of the kingdom. We'll talk about that next week in Matthew 24. that talks about how during that time that the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, is going to be proclaimed. And at the very beginning of that tribulation period, you're going to have two witnesses 
who are going to have such an impact. Personally, I believe it's Elijah and Enoch. If you disagree with me, that's okay. That's okay. I think that's the reason why God called both of them up. Well, they haven't died. This appointed man wants to die. But God is going to send two witnesses. And again, I believe it's Enoch and Elijah. And that's going to be wow. And they are going to be preaching the gospel of the kingdom. They are going to be preaching uh, the fact that Christ Jesus is the true Messiah. And you better believe in him. The two witnesses are going to be having such a tremendous uh, impact. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to be moving during that time like he was moving on the day of Pentecost. And there's going to be the signs and the wonders. And there's going to be the heat. All of those things that took place then are going to be taking place now at, at that time. And people are going to be trusting Christ as their Messiah by the hundreds and thousands based on the witness, the, the two witnesses and the 144,000 that are going to be sealed, all of that starts taking place at the beginning of the tribulation. And all of that is happening in Israel, and that, that reformation is taking place there at the very beginning. And these Arab nations, these, well, I can't say Arab, these Islamic nations, they observe this. And it says in God's Word that God puts it in their heart to attempt to stop it. And there's where we have the battle of Gog and Magog at the very beginning of the tribulation. The first battle of Gog and Magog. There are two. There's one at the beginning of the tribulation and there's one at the end of the represents the same represents the same represents the same land mass, the same land areas and also spirit, the same spirit of the moon god that has been worshipped there in Ur and the Chaldees and the Mesopotamia area and that whole battle between God and Satan himself between Jerusalem and Babylon. And it's a spiritual warfare and it's going to ignite. And next week, we'll tell you how it ends. Okay? But here's the good news. The church, the body of Christ, we have a different calling. We get called on high. We become part of that body of Christ and what we do, need to do in order to be saved, made a new creation, is by faith putting our trust in Christ, believing that he died for our sins, was buried, and rose again. That God saves us by his grace. He offers salvation to whosoever comes. He is not willing that any should perish. And God calls, whether it be Jew or Gentile, he says it has nothing to do with my covenant relationship with Israel. It has everything to do with my grace. I'm offering you salvation right now. That's what he offers. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. You know what? It's exciting to read about what's coming, and I really believe it's coming. But it's also very frightening to think about what's on the horizon if you haven't been washed by the blood, if you're not in Christ. 
Let's bow in prayer. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for what what your word tells us, how thankful we are that we can read what your word says and by faith we can trust that. Father, these things aren't going to take us by surprise. We're not children of the dark. We're children of the light. Father, we can study your word so we know what it is that we need to do to prepare. Father, the most important thing has nothing to do with collecting food or our survival stuff. But trusting Christ is our Savior. By faith, believing that you died for us, that you were buried and you rose again. And Father, by believing, we have that life eternal. Father, realizing there's there's no work, there's no deed, there's nothing we can do to earn it. Father, by faith, we just receive it. And we thank you for it. Now I pray this morning, if there's anyone here that's never trusted you, oh, Father, before it's eternally too late, I pray that the Holy Spirit will just convict to such a point that they do not want to spend another second rejecting that gift of eternal life. And by faith they'll believe. Now, Father, we pray that you will have your perfect way and will in this world, and we know you will. We safely and with confidence trust in you. Father, we're not going to fear what man can do to us, for we trust you completely. We pray all these things in Christ's holy and most precious name. Amen.